Hello, my friends. Welcome. My name is Shay Marville. I am an entrepreneur, a business and meditation coach, and a mom. And like you, I'm going through the wildness of this once in a century pandemic that has changed everything. I want this space to be a place where we have conversations about the good things, the hard things, the sad things, and the sorrow, the triumphs, and the resilience. May this moment in our collective history be a catalyst for compassion, inclusion, better thinking, adaptation, and well-being. My friends, let's talk. My friends, thank you. Thank you for joining me at Let's Talk today. As always, I am so grateful for your time and for your attention. And my hope and my goal is that this space becomes a place where thought leaders and our growing audience can share ideas, can grow ideas, and create something new and something better. Because we are in a new world. This pandemic has expedited, it's accelerated where we were going as a society. And that has a lot of positives. And of course, we are experiencing the dramatic and traumatic negatives of loss, loss of employment, loss of business, loss of people that we love. But I feel, and I don't know how you feel, but I feel so convicted that the people that we've lost and the businesses that we've lost, and the people that are struggling, that their lives matter. Their lives matter. And because their lives matter, those of us who have opportunity, who have access to the different types of education and work and ideas, I don't think this is a time to be disappointed and hopeless. This is a time to actually apply our experience, the learnings from our ancestors, the new technologies, which are not all bad. In fact, if it wasn't for technology platforms, many of them, we wouldn't be able to work at all, some of us. And even though we have seen the results of technology and social media being, you know, out of control or not having any safety net, not having the same types of accountability levels that we have in civil society. And we've also seen the consequences. We've experienced the consequences. We are experiencing the consequences of that. There is also still so many things we can look to about how we communicate, about the fact that we can communicate with anyone around the world, that we can work with people around the world, which means that for the first time in our human history, we have access, not to all, but the opportunity to have access to the diversity of intelligence, 
creativity, of capacity to make and design in a way that we've never had before. And even though we're also, you know, living through, you know, some very traumatic things and, and there's a lot of things rising to the surface, facing, you know, um, all this social discord, right and left, you know, people who are in denial, people who believe in conspiracies, people, you know, all the, the pain of, of racism, you know, rising to the surface. We're, we're going through all of that. And, and um, we have to face it. But for the first time, we are facing some of the hardest things we've ever known with also advantages we've never known before. And, you know, as we move into this Black History Month, which I, I'm really excited about, it, about and I, I know, you know, Black history is so much more vast and diverse and dynamic, it, it can't be fit into a month. And, and I don't think that was ever the intention. I think the intention was and is about creating space to tell the stories of people of Black and African descent that have been denied, ignored, or made invisible. And that in doing so, not only do you help to build the self-esteem of the human beings that are categorized as Black and devalued, but you help the rest of society to understand the value and the contribution, contributions of people of of Black and African descent across the African uh, diaspora. And of course, you know, I mean, in my mind, you know, race is, I'll be quite honest, I I think race is a sort of absurd uh, category. We, you know, we know it's a social construct. There is no genetic marker for race. Uh, Race is something that has been prescribed and had... um, values attached to it and that has been you know really uh, generated and fueled by imperialism colonialism and all the different negativisms of course and especially over the last 600 years but when you see where we are right now and how people are living and the type of uh, inclusive societies we're building and you see this momentum of different types of people coming together you know from around the world saying you know the same thing about the need to recognize every human being's value the the um you know people who are just uh so deeply impacted by how black and brown people are treated. And, and you have a lot of people from different backgrounds talking and seeing the results of systematic or systemic and institutionalized discrimination. I think this is fantastic, okay? However, there are also things happening and new ways of looking at education, about our, at our workplaces, and the value of diverse intelligence that has never been recognized before. 
And, you know, when I think about some of the experiences that I've had as a racialized person, you know, and, and I'm, listen, I'm not going to, um, you know, I, I'm just going to be very frank. Uh, you know, I've had lots of experiences where, you know, my race has been an issue, uh, whether it's in the workplace or it was in school being bullied for, the, you know, the size of my lips or being called the N-word when I was, you know, quite young. Um, and, you know, and, and, and I mean, I think the last time I was called the N-word was, I think, a few years ago when I was involved in politics. Listen, it happens. But there are other things that happen. And I think one of the things that I'm really focused on is how you inoculate young people and people in general to the impact on their self-worth and their self-esteem and their confidence when they've had, you know, racialized experiences of discrimination. I use the word inoculation on purpose because I do think of racism as a kind of virus it is spread through systems, through ignorance, through disinformation, through stereotypes. But it is a virus that can be cured through education, empowerment, and truth. I think for me, I, I feel very lucky, very privileged to have come from a family with elders who were not afraid to talk about racism, but who were also not deterred in their life ambitions because of racism. And I remember so distinctly this one day, my uncle Ovid, Ovid Jackson, hopefully one day we will be able to get him on the show. He is a humble and quiet hero. He spent 30 plus years in public office here in Canada. He was an alderman, he was a mayor, he was a member of parliament. He is a teacher. He's an extraordinary person. And of course, so is his wife, my aunt, who is also a teacher. I remember one day my uncle, who had lived in England and moved to Canada for a better life. He sat us down when we first arrived. And he wanted us to understand what an extraordinary country Canada was how it was one of the best places to live in the world. However, it suffered from the same disease that was throughout the whole world, and that was a form of racism. And I remember him talking to us about not the inevitable fact, but that it could happen, that we could experience an event or a series of events where we were called names or we were rejected because of our race. And he wanted us to understand that someone else's point of view and someone else's name calling is not the sum of who we were. And in fact, he talked about mindset. He talked about mindset in the 70s. He still talks about it today. He talks about how your mindset, not the circumstances outside of you, although hard, they are not the total determinant of what and who you become. And I do think that moment was a kind of inoculation 
because it set up the scenario not for what would happen, but what could happen. And that I needed and that we needed to have our wits about us. And I remember my mother when I was quite young and we were living in Toronto and I was experiencing bullying. I remember my mother saying, you know, sticks and stones indeed may break your bones, but names are what you make of them. They are what you make of them. And so I do think that form of familial advocacy and then seeing elders in the family who were not in denial, who were not pretending, but still trying and thriving. I do think that that's a kind of actionable role modeling that allows you to understand that both can and do exist. You know, I have another uh, story I'd like to tell you. You know, I remember this is about, I I think it was about 25, more than 25, about 27, 28 years ago. uh, I was just graduating uh, from from university, Glennon College uh, here in Toronto. And I was working at the Ontario Science Centre. And as many of you know, I worked for the Science Centre for years and years. And I, I think the Science Centre is one of the most extraordinary Canadian institutions. Uh, and I think that um, it, its value in terms of science communication and making it accessible is, um, is critical to our educational system. So I've just you know, there's my bias. And, and I, I started working at the Science Center when I was 16. And I, the, the last time I worked at the Science Center was when I was 36. So it was, it was quite some, a, a long time. Uh, but I was working at the Science Center and I was working in uh, visitor reception. I was the assistant manager. I had worked as a um, usher. I had worked in the restaurant. I had worked as a parking attendant. I had worked as a cashier. And, you know, I, I found the Science Center was uh, an amazing place for me as a student. I was able to go to high school and go to university. And I, I basically put myself through university because of of, of having that that fantastic uh, part-time job. But I was really interested uh, at that time in journalism. And I was, you know, I had just completed or was completing a degree in political science with a specialization in, uh, you know, social science and anti-racism. And I had a a professor who had recommended that I speak to uh, someone that they knew quite well in journalism at, at a local paper. And so I, I went off, I took my portfolio, and I had already, at this point, I I had been thinking about journalism, had applied to ju- a journalism school, and then sort of, you know, got worried about my writing and then decided not to do it. And so, you know, but I... This was a moment when I had, um, you know, been writing for the school newspaper uh, at Glendon and I was, you know, very politically active and I, I knew I had a point of view that I wanted to share. And so I went to see this gentleman and, you know, 
in the beginning, it was, you know, quite nice. And, and, and things seemed to be, you know, the conversation seemed to be going well. And I, you know, had my package of, of articles and I was about to take it out and show it to him. And, and then, and then he just said very, very plainly and straight, you know, straightly, he said, listen, you know, I was, he said, I, I want to talk to you straight. You know, he said, I, I want to tell you about, you know, what, what the newspaper business is. It's a tough business. It's, it's a, it's, um, a hard living, uh, hard smoking, hard drinking, a late night, uh, pursuit of justice and ethics, um, and, and, and looking for the story when nobody wants to tell it. It's a tough business. It's not made for everyone. And with that, he said, uh, you know, thanks for, for, you know, having the conversation. Um, and I've, I'm really, I'm really busy. I've got to go. It was great, great to meet you. And with that, he, he, he just kind of blew me off. And I was crushed. I was embarrassed. I, I felt humiliated. It happened so quickly. And I thought, you know, for a long time I've thought about journalism, but I, I don't know that I can really do it. And the truth is, and I'm still a little bit embarrassed by this, but I believe that man. He basically met me for 15 minutes and made a decision and some judgments about me. And I can't say for certain they, that they were judgments based on my race or my gender or what I look like or my height or maybe that I, you know, just look like somebody who couldn't handle the hard stuff. But in that moment, I accepted what he said. Now, at the very same time that week, there was another opportunity coming up at the Science Center. And the reason I knew about the opportunity was because there were two leaders in that organization who I had befriended. They would come up to the visitor reception area, they'd walk by to get a coffee, and we would make a conversation. They were always... Um, happy and engaging and interested in what I had to say and what I had to say about what I observed about the visitors coming through the front doors. And these two people were the two people who said to me one day, hey, Shay, you know, there's a, a job, a researcher position coming up in the design and science department. Uh, you, you should apply. And I remember saying, well, I'm, I'm not actually, my degree is in political science. It's not in design and it's not in science. And um, I remember them saying, so what? It's, you know, you, you know how to do research. You're interested in writing. That's what they need. You should apply. These two women, Bonnie Hillman and Deborah Feldman, in that moment, in a brief conversation, they changed my life. And I'm forever grateful. And I think that there are these events in your life that can happen where people make decisions about you in a split second. And you don't know what informs that decision. 
But what you do with their decision is what matters. You know, that became the beginning for me of an extraordinary career because of the people I got to work with in the design and science department, because of the type of learning I was introduced to and the ideas, and really because I got to apply what I was interested in, what I had studied, to an actual job in the professional arena that I had never even imagined going into. And and that's why I am so... I'm such a huge champion of taking chances and taking risks and exploring different kinds of ideas because, you know, sometimes you grew up in a family, they may love you, but they don't actually understand your capability. And so it's hard for them to groom you into um, a direction that allows you to, to expand and grow. You know, sometimes you, you go to a school or you are, you know, or um, you get a degree or, or a diploma, and and even the people who are educating you don't see what you can be, and so they're not able to advise you in a way that allows you to grow. You have to find those opportunities and those those moments and those creases, right? Um, to create a new path for yourself. And I think, I know that being able to shift your mind and apply yourself to areas that are, are not comfortable is also a growth moment. And that's why, you know, as hard as this pandemic is, as, as disruptive as it is, We can't deny the opportunities that are being created by technology and what that's doing in terms of reordering how we learn. You know, now we know, and it's so clear, we can't just train and teach young people to succeed because they've got a framework uh, that tells them how to pass a test. They have to know how to think, how to apply thinking to critical problems, right? We now know that the workplace is not static, that you can work remotely and your workers and employees and team members can be distributed around the world and still be effective. That also means that how we train people and how we invest in people's ability to learn and their well-being. You see, well-being is so critical here. You cannot do anything without being strong mentally, emotionally, and physically. You cannot grow and perform at a high level and be productive if you are ill or physically weak. And that's why... Your well-being, your physical ability is so critical to your mental capacity, both in terms of intelligence and in terms of performance. 
So I actually think that all the things that we were sort of obsessed with in the 20th century and the 19th century about intelligence and IQ and the industrial revolution of, you know, how things are done, all of these things have been blown up. And now what I would suggest to you is that there is more room. There is more room for all of us if we decide we want to have room. If we decide, if we have the confidence, if we have the self-worth, if we have the self-esteem, if we have the fearlessness, what I want to suggest to you right now, that this is not a moment to be hopeless. It is a moment to be safe, as safe as you can be. Protect the ones you love, protect yourself the best way you can. But also, think and imagine differently. Look after your body. Look after your mindset. And don't be stuck in a time that's long gone. Don't be stuck in the, in the idea that I can only do this. I mean, I think we're moving towards a system where everyone, it doesn't matter whether you have an engineering mind or not, everyone is going to have to learn to code. Everyone is going to have to learn what coding is. Because that's part of the lexicon of the time we are living in. My friends, I am so glad that you came to the pod today. I hope wherever you are, that you are well and that you are strong. I hope that you um, get to meet someone or learn something new during this Black History Month. I hope that it's meaningful, whoever you are, wherever you are. May we grow and be well together. Ciao for now. My friends, thank you for joining me in the pod today. Thank you to my guest. Thank you to all the people around the world listening. Keep subscribing. Keep sharing. Keep sending your feedback. We are just getting started. And thank you to my amazing team led by Stacey Maynard. Extraordinary. Ciao for now. See you soon. Be well.